this morning we're going to look at another psalm to encourage us uh, through exhortation of God's word uh, to uh, worship by faith. And uh, uh, someone on the way out the door last week uh, mentioned that he would be discussing last week's sermon with the children, and I encouraged him, if he hadn't thought of it already, to ask them, uh, did they know that God was here, but you could not see him? Because uh, faith is in the unseen. Uh, there will come a day for all of us in the Lord in which faith shall become sight, but that is not today, not yet, although today could be over before I finish this sentence. Uh, hope, I said last week, is that faith that is, has a forward looking, so that uh, faith in the unseen now and hope in the, uns in the uh, looking forward to the uh, future is uh, hope is future faith in, in the unseen now, now and later. And we want to keep that in mind as we go through and this week uh, meditate a little bit upon the majesty of our God, the object of our faith. And so let's give careful heed to the reading of the Word of God, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all hit livestock, creeping things and, and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. I'm pray one more time. Father, we ask you, uh, as uh, has already really been asked, but I, I, I need to ask it myself, that um, you would help us to glory in the cross today, that you would help us to see Jesus, that you would help uh, me to uh, forsake all self-trust, self-glorification, that I would not uh, preach by sight of my gift package or my preparation, but uh, that I would uh, be given words by the Holy Spirit to lift up and exalt Jesus in his majesty. Uh, we pray that whether we're speaking or hearing, 
that our boast would be in Jesus and him crucified. And we ask you for your help in this, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know how you think uh, about things like this psalm, uh, but I'm going to tell you that I can't read this psalm without thinking of the Lord's Prayer. And the reason is that when we pray, uh, hallowed be thy name, of course, that's lifting up God's name in praise, and, but your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. And this psalm is easily split up in, in uh, three ways, but the first two ways are praise in heaven, praise above the earth, praise in the unseen realms that, uh, at least in the cosmology of the Old Testament, is above that blue sky out there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and yet we pray for uh, that will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, why? And what kind of kingdom is it? Well, it's, it's, a re, it's a kingdom of redemption, of salvation. It's an invisible spiritual kingdom of uh, Christ uh, so that it, when he first appears, he says things like this. The kingdom is near. Oh, it is? What? Why? Because the king is here. That's why. And uh, the, king, the kingdom has come, and it's coming. Why? Because he's come, and he's coming. And uh, this, this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It, it, it grows in such a way that it's hidden from the world. Hopefully not permanently by every one of our neighbors, but uh, some yes and some no. Uh, many are called, few are chosen. That's, so, that's sobering words, somber words. So we have this cosmology of heaven and earth that comes together in this psalm. And we shouldn't be so surprised that the psalmist uh, talks uh, this way uh, because uh, he desires this kind of unified worship in God, uh, of God's majesty uh, on earth as it is in heaven because that, uh, that goal has been thwarted, frustrated through the fall of Adam and Eve. What was intended to unite originally heaven with creation on earth ended the moment that the two of them uh, ate of that fruit in an attempt to, to be like God, to be autonomous, to depend uh, no longer upon him and his word, but upon the lies of Satan and their own deceitfulness and unbelief. Uh, we shouldn't be too surprised uh, that the psalmist says, uh, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars. Uh, and the, these things in, in, in creation above, but uh, also the, the, crea the creation below. Think, think with me for a moment. What does Jesus say about, uh, about uh, to the Jews who object to the, his followers uh, uh, shouting, Hosanna to the king? Uh, at the at the triumphal entry, he says, "You 
you better let them say this. You better be ready to hear this. Because if they don't say it, the very stones will cry out. And of course, in Romans 8, we can immediately think about uh, the creation groans in anticipation of being set free in a consummate way from the bondage that was brought by the fall of man and uh, creation into sin, into bondage. We live in a beautiful but broken world. And uh, those two things we need to accept and believe and take together. And uh, sometimes it's harder than other times. Um, the psalmist uh, unites heaven and earth here around the praise of the majesty of God. And uh, this, this reinforces the point I made last week that in the fire and hail and snow and mist, as well as the heavens that declare the glory of God, all the other things that are in his providential reign and rule and creation, they manifest his presence. And his presence is why we worship. Why would I pray or worship or read his word if I didn't believe he was with me? If I didn't believe he was here right now? Uh, even if I didn't feel like it, or if I was being perhaps overly uh, scrupulous about my motives, uh, perhaps I'm just physically not feeling well, I didn't sleep well last night. Anybody else have a sleep deficit? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, you know, um, it, it just goes on and on about the kind of things that uh, distract us, you know, um, and uh, sometimes uh, our enemy uh, shoots arrows through these windows, as it were, and a thought jumps into our head in the middle of uh, singing his praises, and uh, you just kind of start and, and think to yourself, where did that come from? Well, your enemy just shot a fiery dart at you, and your flesh was all too willing to take it in. And uh, it's always a struggle. It's always a battle. It's a faith battle to look away from yourselves, ultimately to look away from your struggles, away from your depression, away from your anxiety, away from problems of every kind, financial, relational, you name it, and to look to Jesus. Because he is the only answer and solution to my problems and to our problems and to this world's problems. Let me just remind you that what this world needs is Jesus. And what they need from Jesus is the same thing that we sinners need. Sinners need grace. This is what's wrong with the world. There's no forgiveness Why do people fight for their rights and kill and, and bite and devour one another? Personally and on a larger scale, why? Why is there so much screaming and yelling and talking over one another? Well, I'd suggest to you because there's a lack of forgiveness of sins. 
The only way I can forgive other people's sins, the only way I can have that power to love others, is if my own sins are forgiven. Or that I'm remembering that my own sins are forgiven. Well, what if they haven't repented? Well, the Lord says, if you stand praying and somebody has, you have something against someone and they haven't repented, then you forgive them anyway. Let it go. I'm not going to sing that song. You know what I'm talking about. We underestimate and take for granted, I suggest to you this morning, beginning here with myself, the place and the power of the gospel's gift of forgiveness. Canceling a debt doesn't mean you forget there was a debt. Doesn't mean that the, you want to kind of take it back and, and uh, step on their neck again. Yes, that happens. But then it's time to cancel the debt again. Okay, how many times? Oh, you were going to ask that question, Mark, weren't you? Three times? Seven times. The number of perfection. Seventy times seven times? The number that really gets us up there where we're, why are you even thinking about numbers, you Pharisee? <laughs> Pharisees kept good account of things, <laughs> you know. They count faults, and they hold them. Whereas love really does cover over sins and let things go. Can you imagine being criticized for everything that's wrong with you? Sometimes you've had a boss like that. I don't know if you endure it or not. Or thankfully got out of there. You know? All they do is find fault. That's horrible. Makes life very difficult. Drains our energy and our joy right out of us. I think it's a, a kind of a workplace demonization sometimes. So, what's the answer? Well, forgiveness. Forgiveness while I'm sending my resume out for another position. Yeah, do that. Do both those things at the same time. Don't let bitterness get in. Bitterness. What's this have to do with this psalm? Mark, where are you with all this stuff? Well, I'm talking about living by faith in a life of praise and power, and joy in the gospel, the good news, which is not just words, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. This psalm ends talking about uh, verse 11 and 12. Everybody, the highborn and the lowborn, that goes from kings of the earth down to children, which... Um, you know, in the, in the Old Testament culture, in the, in the time of Jesus, uh, uh, children were uh, uh, just not worth much in society's eyes, uh, in the culture at that time. Uh, they were somewhere on a par with, uh, with slaves, and uh, they, they had to grow up and be worth something. You know? 
That's a whole other discussion. Kings of the earth, children, praise. Let them praise the name of the Lord, verse 13. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. And so you see this unity of heaven and earth being restored by the one who made heaven and earth, who existed before there was, as we think of it in time, a heaven and earth, who is eternal and infinite, sovereign and incomprehensible. You know, the great temptation that Adam and Eve had was that they wanted to get their mind around God. That's what Satan was holding out to them. You can get your mind around God. You can, you can get the really deep answers. It's still a great temptation to us to want to get our mind around God. Job's conclusion was, I repent of trying to get my mind around God, and you're God, and I'm not, and I'm happy with that now. Well, okay. Maybe you're learning that lesson again for the upteenth time. I am. There's always something fresh testing my faith. There's always something fresh turning my eyes away from you guys and from my wife and my children and my circumstances and my inner condition, the, 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 the situation in the world, all its various expressions. Does this sound like pietism to you? Well, you know what? It's piety. Because the kingdom is invisible. And at this time, by faith, we behold the invisible. And we are called to focus our eyes, eyes of faith upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because he's the object of that faith. And he has run the race. And he has won the victory. And we're going to talk about the victory next week. But as a connector, a segue for next week, look at verse 14. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. There are two big things I need to tell you about this verse, and this will be the end of the sermon. Now remember I said that so that you can check your clock. It's not 20 minutes later, all right? Number one, he has raised up a horn for his people. If you do a word study in your English Bible of the word horn, you will find that it's a metonym for power. Political, socio-economic, military power. Now, in the Bible, this horn is, mostly refers to kings. It refers that way in Daniel. They have power and so on. And then there's, in Revelation, there's, there's the, the king that is the horn over all the horns, and uh, he has power. And we don't live in as agricultural a um, uh, society, even out here we don't. Whoops. My ear fell off. 
But just uh, stop and, and muse with me for a moment about horns. Uh, horn uh, was a metonym for power. Why? Because uh, the horn symbolized or represented a power on a, ho on a, on a horns on a, on a ram, horns on a, a cow, uh, a bull, an ox. Uh, when, you think, when you think of the glory of a unicorn, what do you think of? It's horn. Not rainbows. It's horn. And, and when you think about the glory of a rhino, what do you think of? And when you think of the glory of, uh, of, of, of a, a bull moose, antlers or horns. What's the, what's the most points you ever brought home from deer season? Those are horns. Well, we could multiply this and just keep going and going here. Uh, that that uh, the horn is something that's lifted up and exalted, and it was it was promised to David that one greater than David would come as David's horn and be the strength, the Messiah. Now, I've, I've noticed again this week that the, uh, the academics who write, uh, who, who write uh, commentaries uh, sort of miss the mark here sometimes. And I saw it this week by someone that I, that I uh, have relied upon for decades for a good word to encourage and inform my thinking about things. He said, well, we're not sure if this is an individual, this horn, or if it's fulfilled in the, in the, in the body of Israel as communal Israel. And you see, I'm like, man, you missed it. You totally missed it. I don't care whether you're thinking of Jesus as an individual Messiah who is the horn, or if you think of him as the final embodiment and fulfillment of Israel. He is Israel. He is the new Israel. So I don't care whether you think of it one way or another. It's him. And my, my friend, the author, missed it. He's not thinking big enough. He's being constrained by academic Respect. Don't you know that respect is an idol for us men? You never said to any of your kids, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out? Well, if I'm the only one, I confess it. Yes, it was angry, sinful anger that said that. Yes, I confess But I don't live to see my wife or my children or other people as better than myself. I live for you to respect me. Wow. I guess so much for the humility of Jesus. He, he didn't know what he was doing, did he? He was the Lion of Judah. 
He was this horn here. And yet the way that he gains his reign, the way he gains his majesty, his throne, is the lion has his throat cut from ear to ear and sheds its life as a lamb. And so the power and the weakness are wed at the cross in the person and the work of Jesus. And this becomes the hallmark. Suffering becomes the hallmark of our lives in this age. There is a triumph. And we do have victories. But it's all in Christ. Do I have to tell you how slow my sanctification has been? Do I need to tell you? No, I don't, because you already know from your own life. I'm 48 years into the Christian life, and I'm still doing the sinful, foolish stuff by word, thought, and deed. More than I would ever like to. I once said to a good friend of mine, Hey, John, I sure hope this is the last time I do that. And he said, It won't be. He's a good friend. <laughs> you see, the horn that is promised here <clears throat> is Jesus, the Messiah, the, the son of David, <clears throat> greater than David. He is the singing Christ of Hebrews. And secondly, he is the altar. The book of Hebrews says he's the altar. And uh, if you remember your Old Testament temple furniture, the altar had horns. Anybody remember that? So the place of death and weakness and sacrifice that you could run to and grab hold of for refuge had horns. Representative of God's power. Wedded to sacrifice and death. Death to self in our own personal sanctification. United to Christ by faith. Yeah, I think so. He has raised up a horn for his people. We did not raise him up. We're the reason he had to be raised up. Did Jesus need to die for anybody else's sins except mine and yours? Not for his own, right? Just a reminder, this is the gospel. This is the good news of why our sins are forgiven. The horn was sacrificed on the horns of the cross and died the death I should have died and lived the life I should have lived so that I can be forgiven and have substitute righteousness for all my self-righteousness. raised up this horn for you and for me. He offers it freely wherever the word is spread. The free offer of the gospel is sincere and real. It's not phony or fake. God has ordained the means as well as the ends. 
that the gospel go forth through the preached word, through the prayers of the means of his people, and the gifts of the body of Christ, that the word be proclaimed and sown freely, that there would be some fruit, maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe 50, maybe 100 fold. That's not my job. My job is sowing the seeds. We sow seeds all the time, my friends. I like Tide, and you should try it too. You still driving that Chevy? You ought to move up to a Honda. I have good news for you. There's a restaurant down the street here that has the best barbecue in Chattanooga. So say I. But I'm much more fearful of what people will think if I were to tell them what Jesus has done for me. And that's what he tells the man who had all the demons drove, driven out of him and cast into the swine when he says, I want to go with you. He says, mm -mm. I want you to go home. You have a mission field in your home and across the back fence and in the cubicle next to you. And I want you to go tell them how much I have done for you. Now, can you witness like that? Well, it'll be hard if you don't have some appreciation of how much you have been forgiven. And you might pray about that. And then also, I put this challenge out to you, my friends. It's not just for you, it's for me, it's for everybody. We have the most wonderful next-door neighbors. I mean, we've, we've never had next-door neighbors like this. When, when we met them, they greeted us and they handed me a key. And, and they said, hey, you and Ginger come over and use it on the fence gate and come and use our above-ground pool yourself and your grandkids and your family any time you want to. Uh, they're confirmed Roman Catholics, and I say that just because um, uh, they don't have an opportunity, in my estimation, to really hear the gospel. And we've been now praying for them for six years. And we'll continue to pray for them and be their friends and look for an opportunity to say something about the hope that is within me. We'll see how the Lord leads. Do you have people, non-Christians, living in your house, non-Christians in your family, non-Christians at work? Are they on your prayer list? Do you have a prayer list? It doesn't have to be a whole book. It could be one three-by-five card. But you need to be intentional about prayer. Hmm. What a nosy preacher. I wish he'd mind his own business. Keep me around and I'll ta start talking about what's in your back pocket. Then you'll really have something to complain about. Just so all you kids know, that's dad's wallet. Okay? <laughs>
the last thing to go. He has raised up a horn for his people, for his saints. So that when I pronounce the benediction again this morning, it's not a prayer. It's God's word to you, his saints, his children. It's his, glad you were here. See you next week. I'm with you. Blessings. It's not a prayer. Look up by faith with your eyes wide open to the invisible and receive his word. Finally, for the people of Israel who are near him. Final point. I, th I think I said something about this last week. The whole purpose of private worship in your closet at home or public worship with the assembly of God's people here this morning, the whole purpose of listening to Christian music and hymns and songs and spiritual songs is not to be entertained, is not to be able to check something off of your to-do list and get on to something that you really think is kind of more important. We come here to draw near to God. If we draw near to God, the Bible says he will draw near to us. Now, does that sound like a good idea? You like that? If, if you're sitting there and you're apathetic about that, I mean really apathetic, then I want to talk to you about whether or not you're a Christian today. I'll stick around. And, and I'll talk to you. Because if you don't have a hunger and a thirst for God and for him being near to you and you being near to him, you have to wonder if you are a believer. It, it's required. I'm not judging. I'm pleading. I'm begging. Come to Jesus. He wants you. He loves you. He died for you. He lives for you. He's coming back for you. Oh boy, that's a good note to end on. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus.